I had this uh, uh, galazzo and yeah no I, no, I, no I get it <laughs> it's, it's, I had it both coming out of my mouth at the same time <laughs> Yeah, it, no, I, I I saw the whole way which what, what happened. I was just like that's that's why I laughed. It wasn't just messed up. It's how you messed up. It was very beautiful. Uh. Wizard needs food badly. I stay at my home all day, but then when I was taking pictures of my new haircut, just you know, for out of vainness, I was looking for a good backdrop. I found that one. I'm just like, hey, that's a thing I can Instagram. I can use my Instagram account. And then I created this whole bit about me rebranding myself on Twitter. Like, like, did you see my pinned tweet? No, no, I didn't. Hey guys, hey guys, I've switched out my profile picture to soften my hashtag brand. Gonna be a whole new Sean from here on out. Sunshine and Roses, hashtag rebrand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, all right. So, yeah, I did uh, I grabbed those numbers for uh, Graham Zuzzi. Basically, um, he's a guy that will... Um, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. We'll talk about it in just a second. My goodness. You didn't even ask about my Instagram. You followed me. Is, well, that, well, is that how this goes? You're just going to... Okay. Why am I going to ask about your Instagram? I can look at your Instagram. Do you not use your Instagram? How's your Instagram, Harrison? It's good. It's good, Sean. It's good. Jiminy Christmas. Is this how we're going to start? Sure. Yeah, let's start it then. Welcome to American Soccer Analysis. I'm your host, Harrison Crow. I have an Instagram. It's awesome. Sean here has a better Instagram. You should follow him. It's, it's not better. I have one picture. Well, I mean... So probably like because I have so many, I think I like I have over a hundred. So I mean, you know, there's probably you probably have a higher ratio of quality, right? One would one would guess. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not the one to ask. I think everything I do is quality. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> so uh, funny thing that happened um, on Thursday. Um, the U.S. managed to win. They also managed to find themselves in a little bit of pickle with uh, rather uh, with missing personnel. Jermaine Jones goes and gets himself a yellow card. Bobby Wood goes and gets himself a yellow card. And then... Um, well, Jermaine got a red card. Or that that is correct. And he took forever to get off the field. Well, he didn't get off the field. He started when he was so yeah, that was hilarious. I think that was the justification for the for the uh, Bobby Wood uh, um, for when they were trying to appeal it. They're like, well, they should have started play because Jermaine wasn't on the field. And I think that's a funny um, appeal. Your appeal is basically, well, we had a player misbehaving on the other side of the field, so technically he was so out of line by not that you shouldn't have started the play because like ultimately he should he should be off the field. Like it's a very stupid argument. Yeah, it's it it is a little bit. No, it, it's very much a silly argument to, to make. It, additionally, um, I, I was a little bit frustrated by the whole situation 
Um, and I was really super confused. I called it the whole way and I had people around me arguing. Um, yeah, I sat next to a lot of European snobs. Like there was someone that was, that came in. in Seattle? No. There's not that many European snobs in Seattle. There really isn't. Uh, it is the, um, if I recall, it is the highest, um, market for, um, EPL watcher on the West Coast. It is not. Washington DC is. I said on the West Coast. Oh, on the, uh, I, thought San to, I thought that was San Francisco. Nope, uh, it's not. It's, it's Seattle. I'm almost mm-hmm. positive. Because you have to distinguish between East and West Coast because to watch the Premier League on the West Coast, you have to set your alarm yes, to do you it. Do. So it, yes, like, it's much more of a commitment. So it, yeah. it is a much bigger commitment. I would agree with you on and that. The, and the West Coast markets, San Fran's another one, um, are the ones that are more affluent. That, those are the... They but, are. But get this, this jack wagon sitting next to me, he's like, can you believe it? They actually play professional soccer on this pitch. He's like, this is so stupid. Number one, like, I didn't think that pitch was that bad. Number two, it was grass. So they actually brought in grass for it. And I thought it looked really well done. Maybe I was, maybe I'm off, maybe I'm biased, maybe I was, you know, so far gone in this is awesome moment that I just completely ignored it. But how did the pitch look? It, it looked fine, right? Like that, that wasn't an influ, uh, influence in this match. No, it was very well, well laid. Um, usually the problem with, uh, when they do this sort of thing is you can see seams. Um, and I think they that laid was the and late. And I think last time too, wasn't it? I, I, for the I don't Cup recall. I've, I've seen some pretty badly laid sod and this one. I think they gave it time to, to grow and I'm, I'm no grass ex- expert but uh th- there certainly weren't as many seams or noticeable seams and it looked pretty smooth and that's what the players seem to indicate as well so i don't think it was uh that big of a deal so you have jones you have bobby wood and you have uh bedoya bedoya thank you oh my gosh uh, i didn't write his name down here and so it took me a second to uh to recall for some reason and bedoya's uh yellow card if i remember was just kind of Almost like trivial. I don't even remember his his yellow. To be honest with you, um, I, I was very surprised by like um how oh I think Bedoya has really shined the last two games for the fact that they've both gotten down to us being down a man or I mean a a we weren't really down a man because they got a red card too but the fact that we were playing with ten men because I think he really shines in that situation because then it's less about it becomes more of like a brawl and that's when you have to grind out a result. And when you want to grind out results, I definitely want Bedoya's and Susie's and Jones's and Bradley's on the field because they're just going to run a lot. They're going to cover a lot of ground. Like well, that's yeah, they're going to American it. They're going to American it. Yeah. And you know, that's been a complaint of mine that this team is too hustly. Um, we're going to discuss that later, but uh, I think when going down a man against South American opponent, uh, or especially going 10v10, I think that definitely uh, almost plays to our advantage, even though the, they definitely did get more dangerous when we went down, so I'm not quite sure. I agree with my own argument. So uh, Bobby Wood is gone. You, uh, probably from everything that I've talked about, listening to the, the few podcasts that, I, that I've managed to listen to so far, um, everybody kind of predicts uh, Dempsey up top by himself. Um and you and I have kind of gone back and forth on this very, uh, very uh, short. So I, I would actually like your take on it. Would Wando, 
help in this case. And, and I'm kind of torn. I, I don't know if I can actually figure it out for myself. I kind of feel like maybe he's not the right fit in that situation because Dempsey's the person that would be playing off of him. Well, you need a 4-4-2 to do, Wanda, which, um, you know, uh, from the practice squad today, it looks like that's what they're going to go with. Right. Um, uh, the practice squad today uh, was uh, the... It was the, Guzon, Yedlin, Cameron, Brooks, jo- Johnson, Zussi, Beckerman, Bradley, Polsic, Dempsey, and then uh, Zardes. And that, yeah. that's a 4-3-3, actually. Well, it... The debatable. That's a 4-4-2 because Zuzi and uh, Pulisic are wingers. Now you can sort of swing on, on either side to become a 4-3-3 uh, by pushing, you know, Zardes to one direction or Dempsey the other direction. Well, Zardes is probably going to take more time up top, and Pulisic is probably going to get, you know, be down below, right? Or he's going to be pulled a little bit more into the midfield. At least that's how, kind of how my... Well, yeah, like Zuzi, well, Zuzi and Pulisic are the, if you're going to, you know, like put names on are the right you know right mid right winger left mid left you know winger well, I, I what just, have you it's a it's a four four two because i assume johnson's going to be up that left hand uh, uh left hand side and you're going to have a lot of overlapping runs so because you're going to have most likely uh messy there on that side you're probably going to be dropping not just zussi but also uh Pulsic back into that uh into that back half. Oh, I see what you field. mean. Yeah, I mean, it, when you have those overlapping, right? That's it'll just definitely play that way. It'll definitely play that way, which is why if you saw the lineup I said I wanted to see, which was a four-five. I, I called it a four-five-one, even though most people would call it a four-three-three, and I called it a four-five-one mainly because it, it would collapse immediately into a four-three-three uh, or a four-five-one because it was Nagby, um, Bradley, and Beckerman as the core three with. Um, the the outside uh with the uh w- you know with Dempsey up top and um uh the, the Johnson on the left and then on the right I had um uh who did I have doesn't matter the point is that uh everyone would fall back because you would have Bradley Beckerman and and uh you would have Bradley and Beckerman kind of sit on Messi and then you would have, you know, another person come back on Messi. You essentially have three people on Messi. The winger would, would fall back, and then you would have the ability to break on the wings. Um, I think I had Zardes out wide. That was probably it. I don't know if you uh, see, and, and you know, uh, excuse me, this Total Soccer Show pointed this out on there was that the U.S. hasn't necessarily done well in man marking, and I don't necessarily think that you should man mark Messi because I don't. I don't think it's like Messi will single-handedly beat you, right? There's too many people out there on that field that can single-handedly beat you. So I'm, I'm kind of of the persuasion that you probably want to uh, – you, you just want to stop in as many holes as possible. Uh, Venezuela had that really great moment early on to where when Messi cut in front of uh, the danger zone, like he actually dribbled in front of the danger zone. And there was about five to six different defender uh, players that just got between him and the goal. And they just filled up every single, yeah, you're going to be able to continue to move. We're not going to work. We're not going to worry about where you move to. We're just going to stay between you and the goal. We're not going to give you an open look. And, you know, he was forced to – he tried to uh, then cross it 
uh, across the face of goal, which got cleared out. And, and I felt like that was probably one of the best case scenarios that you could hope for, and which a five, uh, a four-five-one would be perfect for, as you're describing. Well, yeah, because the ultimately you want to be able to recover if because Messi can dribble out of a lot of things, so you don't want to have you know like four people on him at once because then he'll just dribble through the four and then no, he's in space. But if you have like st- like staggered lines to the point where he gets past one person, he's going to run into another person. You you increase the odds that you know someone's going to get to him or at least foul him. I think one of the biggest factors in this game is going to be just the persuasion of the referee how much he allows fouling before he started pulling cards because they're going to be pulling down Messi a lot and that's really will be important to the plan. That's important anytime you play Messi and you know. Uh, the big concern right now is you can't just park Beckerman on it. Beckerman has very his lateral movement's gone, essentially at this uh, at his age, and he wasn't really that you know fast to begin with. So you know I, he's going to be eaten alive. If so, Michael's going to have to um, use the engine of his to do a lot of recovery. But that means Michael can't get caught up field. Um, that's going to become that's why I would like Nagby there as well because Nagby does a lot of box to box work. Um, people don't give him credit for that. They think he's well, just like an attacking player. But like you know. He does that in Portland. That's I mean that's where he where he was coupled with uh, Diego Shara and that just really took off. Right. Yeah. Because I mean when we when we were doing the uh, I believe the FC Dallas um, series and we did uh, two shows uh, going over the chalkboards. Um, Nagby played two different roles in the two different games. One because Valeri wasn't there. Um, Nagby did a lot more creative things. Um, then when Valeri came back, Nagby all of a sudden had all like all these defensive actions and stuff and it was you know getting more on the ball was more of like a circulator. You know, he's very, uh, you know, his, he's not one-dimensional. He's got uh, any hustles. He gets all over the field. I, I don't see any downside, which is why I think he should have started over Bedoya in the first place. But that's, you know, uh, n- neither here nor there. Um, I think it's unfortunate if he doesn't make the field. I think I would definitely put him over Zardis in this this look if you insist on having Zuzi on the field um, to have put another hustler on the field. So uh, I don't know. I mean, well, I mean that's that's kind of it, right? So we're we're either going to miss out on Pulsic or Nagby or maybe even both because we have to get you know the Graham Zusi. And, and trust me, I I don't think either of us really hate Graham Zusi. I think that that's kind of a misnomer. It's just the fact of what he brings to this to this fight. A doesn't fit. Uh, unless you're down a player. I mean, as you said, if you're going to run over somebody and you just have to out-hustle them, that's a Zussi job. This is not a Zussi job. This takes finesse. This takes tactics. And, you know, I've heard a couple of people say, well, Zussi's going to do what he's told to do. Well, that doesn't necessarily mean he should be out there. You're going to need somebody that's going to be able to think on his feet. And I think Pulsic, as young as he is, is probably a better option. And definitely Darlington Nagby. Um, you dug up some stuff on Zussi to kind of help better convey our thoughts. What, what do you got for me? Yeah, so my issue with Zussi is, um, to put in broad terms, is if you – the trade-off with him is that he does a lot of hustling. Everyone admires that, just like everyone admires Bedoya in very similar ways. But very similarly, there's not a lot going offensively in the final third. And when you look at this team overall, their inability to get uh, any sort of short passes into the danger zone uh, that you yes. know aren't through the air, even in that game, even in the games we've done well in, 
they've been games where we've been able to have Jones or Bradley loft balls there and, you know, have someone bring them down and, uh, you know, or have, you know, Dempsey snapping that goal or, you know, plays like that where, again, not a lot of penetration from the midfield. Um, what Zuzi offers you is essentially he produces lots of chances, but they're very, very, very low percentage chances. And in general, when you're a by-volume passer, if you're crossing a ton, you're giving up the ball a lot. So a lot of your passes are, when they go to him, possession is going to end because he's going to put that in the box. And when you want to, so when you're creating chances, you really want to maximize your ability to convert those chances. Otherwise, you're just sort of throwing away possession. And with him, the numbers are pretty staggering at how inefficient his chance creation is. Um, so uh, 6.7% of the chances he creates are finished. That's super low. What's what's the average again? I, I think it was like, what, 14, 15? Oh, for the – I actually uh, – I should look at that. I, I don't have that on me. Um, so basically Just, he creates what – was, What was the finishing percentage for the league last year? The, uh, in your study. Right, I looked at forwards though, so that would not be fair at all to Susie because no, no, it, not necessarily, but just kind of as a rough, as a rough. Uh, it, I mean, forwards to finishing percentage forwards to midfielders are going to be very different because the, the, the amount of long shots are going to increase a ton. Um, shots on goal, I believe, was thirty-five percent. I, um, I, I believe it's in the thirties for percentage that are shots on goal. So if you do the math there, that would be. I don't know. I don't want to throw out bad numbers that, that I can uh, validate. We'll, we'll put the, them in the, the notes. Point, the point of is that that 6.7 within context it isn't very good. Right. And two, and he, he creates about 2.86, you know, so basically three. So he's going to give you three chances a game that are at 7%. Um, now, when you throw in his shots, um, the conversion, uh, if you, like, put shots created and shots taken – conversion goes up to 7.6 and you can get and you get about like 4.5 out of them so so he'll give you 4.5 opportunities at 7.6 percent chance you would never take any of those odds so that's roughly what like uh 0.3 uh 0.35 maybe uh of expected goals a game roughly uh yeah yeah pretty much uh it, it it's not super it's not super great um and the problem with looking at that set in particular is how many of the possessions um even when you get a good expected um goals or expected assists out of him in theory there it's low to how many touches he gets because basically every every time that he's crossing a ball in that's a time that a ball could have been given you know, circled back around and got into a position where a higher percentage uh, chance could have been created. So when the instinct is always to cross it, when the instinct is always to um, create in the way that he creates, then you have a very low percentage chance. And in a game when we're not going to get that many looks, that's not really a great player that you want in there. Now, hustle-wise, absolutely you want someone there, especially with Beckerman and his lack of speed um, since we're not going to play kitchen, even though that would be the smart move. No, actually, dang it. Why did you do that? Because you beat me to it. <laughs> oh, go ahead. Go ahead. You talk about kitchen. 
No, I, you know, I was actually, you talked about uh, Beckerman just not having the legs under him. And, and really, already we have a Beckerman replacement within the pool. And actually, we have him within the team. And that's my lead in was going to be, you know, Perry Kitchen, who I feel is a very, uh, maybe he's not where Beckerman, no, he's, he's obviously not where Beckerman's at now. But he has that movement and he's a little bit more agile in the sense that he's going to have he's going to be able to get to balls faster. He's going to be able to uh, he's just going to be able to do things a little bit at a higher speed than what Beckerman is. Now, he might not have the ability that Beckerman has. Beckerman has two way ability. Um, that I think Kitchen's lacking in some respects. But I think defensively, there's there's a very, uh, very small differential between the two. Yeah, well, uh, it's almost They're, like... Well, Clinton had two years to, to find a Beckerman replacement, and he spent very little of it doing this. So Well, Beckerman wasn't a huge priority for him. Well, was, I mean... Playing Bradley at the 10 was the priority. Right, I mean, th- th- there are a lot of so many things at one time, bro. No, you can absolutely build a build a core when you know uh, that Beckerman's my only defensive midfielder in this, that I trust, and you know he's this age, just like um, he's building wood to replace Dempsey. Who's he building? He's he hasn't been building Kitchen or Williams or you know um, Morales or all these players that he's called in to supposedly do that. He hasn't really given them the minutes to do it, so. Uh, this is totally on him and uh, him not uh, preparing for this contingency. So uh, very similar to how he never prepared for Alcador going down, you know, in the World Cup or even brought contingency plans for that. So, again, he's he's kind of made his own bed here. But uh, I think in general, Jurgen Klezman is a coach who does not trust the player pool because I just uh, made this point on Twitter. If you look at his coaching tenure, at no point was he ever – can you ever accuse him – of being uh, conservative prior to getting the U.S. job. Once he gets the U.S. job and he gets into major competitions, he starts playing three holding midfielders. You know, he starts doing uh, this team that basically all all hustle artists and not trusting the Phil Hobbards and the Kleshans and the Nagbys and all these players that, you know, if they were putting up these numbers in a European league, absolutely he'd be calling them in. But I don't think he trusts the, the ability to do that in MLS as the ability to do that, uh, you know, at the international level. Therefore, he's not going to put them on the field. And so, well, let's 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 move slightly away from our bias, right? Let's let's look at MLS as are you? That's, well, okay. that's not a bias. He he does not play those players, and I think it's odd because in Germany he played attacking players. So it's not like he has a philosophical. Well, I mean, no, I'm saying he has a bias. Let's move on. Let's, this is a hobby horse of ours. I mean, this is stuff that we've rehashed, you know, a thousand and one times. The point is, it really, he's – and you're making it perfectly. He's not playing the players within the pool that he has that can effectively change this game. Well, yeah, but, but my point now, which I don't think I've ever made before, is – because uh, I sort of came to realization today, is I don't think he trusts the pool. And same way, when you listen to how he talks about the media, uh, like the media has to grow up and learn this, and, you know, as if the media in this country doesn't understand soccer. I think he sort of thinks that way about attacking players in this country. So he doesn't respect our attacking players, therefore he doesn't play them. Whereas in Germany, 
he respects the attacking players there, so he would play the attacking players to the point that they had to pull him back and say, you're playing too many attacking players, we need another holding midfielder. So Jurgen Klinsmann has done a complete 180 in, I guess, in style, and this kind of explains it. I just don't think he trusts the American player, the American player in general, other than their ability to hustle, which is why he plays so many Zuzis and Bedoyas. Yeah, uh, and, you know, in the World Cup, he played, you know, three three holding mids, and he uh, he, he, he kind of plays scared, um, to put it no other way. There's no other way to put it, uh, in a way that even conservative Bob Bradley never did. And very, I don't know, it's very interesting, a realization that came today, and I I think it's very, get, knowing his personality, I think it's, um, it's uh, quite, I wouldn't say quite likely, but it's definitely a possibility, uh, a good possibility. Okay. Um, looking at Argentina, I did a little bit of research on some of the stuff that's going on with them. Of course, you know, um, I'm taking a drink of water, so please excuse me. I'm wetting my whistle as they you want me to do an, a, another tight three. Uh, no, please, please, please. No, this is going really well. Um, so they're ranked number one in the world by ELO ratings in case you do not trust, you know, the FIFA rankings, which why should you? There's plenty of arguments against uh, ELO ratings, or at least I've seen a couple of decent ones. Um, I will say that it's the best thing that I've seen produced. People that have an issue with ELO generally have not produced anything that's competitive yet. There's good ideas to create one, but this is just what we're going with here. Right. The, that's all the all the uh, you know the little I don't know I, I don't even know what you'd call it just whatever disclaimer uh, of sorts. I, I like yeah just from from my end I like club ELO a lot I think yes. international ELO gets a little hairy because your sample sizes start to shrink and um, you know and not only that sudden, but it's 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 more of a grade of excuse me your player pool than it is really of the actual um, team. Or the best of the team, right? Well, also, yeah, like uh, if you look at how much Mexico dropped because of the 7-0 Chile, um, because of the amount of goals that were scored on them, you can argue they really gave up after three. So is that really a reflection that Chile's seven goals better? Because they dropped a ton in ELO. Um, when you look, look at uh, when we went up, you know, in Costa Rica, uh, that many. How much, again, did, how much did they go go down? I didn't notice. Um, oh, there was a very good tweet about this. Um you keep going, I'll find the tweet. Okay. Um, so Argentina is ranked number one in the world, as I just said. But the last time they were ranked outside the top ten was October 1999. They're super good. This isn't just Argentina has been good since Messi's came around. This is a club that consistently is – I mean, they're they're phenomenal. They are competitive in every um, – in every facet for the, over a decade. So this isn't about Messi. This is an organization that itself, uh, a country that has developed soccer really well. That being said, and I say this tongue in cheek, they are not unbeatable. They they are beatable. They're not uh, an indefensible side. They suffered defeats already in the World Cup qualifying against Ecuador. Uh, they drew against uh, Paraguay, uh, which was nil-nil. So they gave up two goals and scored none over the course of those two games. However, Messi was not an 18 for either of those two matches. So, I mean, it kind of comes in tongue in cheek, but it also leads into like what you're saying earlier. Um, Argentina combined for uh, eight shots inside the 
team yard box uh, during that those two games. Only three of those were in the danger zone. So really, I mean, if you really want to look at Argentina in a simplistic um, perspective, they want to get in tight to the danger zone and they want to take those shots there. They don't take a <clears throat> a high percentage of their shots outside. Um, they don't score a high percentage of their shots from outside. And, and really, no one does, but they're not any better than anybody else, really. Um, it's just that they are amazing at breaking down defenses and, and finding those really high-volume uh, shots. Uh, just looking at uh, what they did to uh, against Chile, they had uh, five shots in the danger zone just against them uh, in group, the group stage. Um versus the three that they had over the two games against Paraguay and Ecuador, uh, both teams that the U.S. has beaten. So, I mean, there, there's there's a straw there that you can start pulling at, and while it's, it, it's not very long, it gives you a little bit of hope that maybe the U.S. might be able to find some way to do it. But it's going to have to be that they just completely deny entry <clears throat> into the d- danger zone, and that c- starts and ends with John Brooks and Jeff Cameron. So. Right. I first of all found the tweet, and I do have uh, I do have a follow up to that. But um, so the tweet was um, let me give credit to the person. Uh, well, not going to be able to say his name. We'll put it in the notes. Anyway, uh, it's net ELO gains and losses for the Copa America through uh, the quarterfinals. U.S. has gained 58 points. Uh, yeah, but, uh, Mexico. That was. Actually, that was oh, I, Okay, so we'll, uh, I, I have something on that. So. Uh, yeah, and Mexico has lost 32 points, despite only losing one game. For the, <laughs> but it, the manner in which they lost. And I don't think um, that's a fair reflection on Mexico, I would say. And I don't think necessarily the wins that we've had, um, especially when you look at expected goals, are necessarily a fair reflection on us rising. Uh, so... Uh, again, in small snapshots, because ELO, ELO is all about sample size. It's in small snapshots. ELO swings can be – that's generally my problem. No, and, and I was going to bring that up also. I missed that. Um, the U.S. is now ranked 18th in ELO. Uh, they were ranked 35 less than 30, go, 30 days ago prior to the game against Puerto Rico. So, I mean, they're – while you might see that them as this team that's kind of uh, that that's always they were on their heels less than 30 days ago, and just because that they've they've strung some results together, don't necessarily have it, this team confused. They still have some serious issues, and it starts with your head coach. But that being said, the other side of the team, Argentina. I feel like if they can deny entry into that danger zone, which is, I mean, that's a huge ask. Don't, 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 that's hugely simplistic perspective. Uh, And I'll let, I'll let you respond. There are a couple of things. And I think the blueprint to be able to do this is actually, you know, we've seen this from a U.S. team. If you look at us taking down the unbeatable, um, you know, Spanish team in the Confederations Cup in 09. And the way we were able to do that was basically, one, you have to get lucky. There's no way to take down the team better than you with tactics alone. You just can't do it. Um, you have to have a big game from your keeper who's going to have to come up big at least once or twice. And tactically, when you have a team that likes to pull you apart like that, you have to be able to 
rely on what you're good at, which the U.S. have to be able to be compact and push everything out wide. Because if you can push them out wide, if you can sort of force crosses from them, that's something Cameron and Brooks can just eat up. Yeah, no, uh, definitely. I, I very much agree. And that's something that we did against Spain. Um, and yes, Torres got in behind a lot in that game. And, you know, uh, Howard had to come up big you know, multiple times. Um, but that stay compact and then break when you can, uh, which I think, you know, when you have Pulisic out there, you can definitely do. Um, Pulisic is very fast, very technical. Um, definitely a counterattacking player uh, that fits well in this team. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's the way to do it. Uh, and, you know, you're going to have to foul early on Messi, and you're going to have to hope that the referee is lenient with the cards. If the referee pulls out a card early, it's not going to be uh, on, you know, uh, Bradley or Beckerman. It's not going to be a good night at all. And Clinton um, might even want to consider subbing them out because, honestly, you're going to have to pull them down. You're going to have to get those fouls before they get into those passing situations. Um, and you're going to have might- to hope that Iguain is, um, as has kind of uh, happened with him, that he kind of uh, gets snake bit in the, the, in, uh, in the box. And yeah, if you can get a couple breaks, um, maybe get a set piece here or there. Although you know, although their defense has been phenomenal, but I mean, it's on a counterattack, you can beat anyone. So yeah, I definitely think it's possible. It's just a matter of are we positioning ourselves in the best possible way to be compact and also counter. And you know, that's complete. That's a player discussion we've already had. Um, but I don't think our chances. I don't think this is impossible by any means. I think this is actually. Um, not nearly as impossible as the uh, the win against Spain because that team was absolutely probably the greatest international team um, of all time. Well, <clears throat> just looking at this right now, um, I think that that actually is an argument to start Kitchen over Beckerman is if the cards start coming out early because then you might have that Beckerman, you know, you, then you will have Beckerman on that, <clears throat> on that sideline to be able to sub in at halftime if necessary. Um, I don't. I don't think you should ever have to plan for cards. Cards are very erratic, and, and <clears throat> something that we have that you know we've shown at least looking through our work that even certain players you can't consistently nail year by year um, when it comes to red cards or even yellow cards. Now fouls, yes, but yellow cards and red cards. I mean they. They're they're chaotic and and whether or not you know we we saw it even against Argentina and uh, uh, Venezuela, uh, Venezuela to where you had within the first five minutes of the game a yellow card against Venezuela on a foul against Messi and then that same player was just beaten to death about three or four different times uh, directly after that uh, and had fouls called against you know uh, Argentina. But there were no cards, you know, procured from that. So uh, it, it just kind of it, it showed you that just because there was one yellow didn't necessarily mean that there was going to be more yellows or that there was going to be any type of uh, consistency. So I mean, that's they're they're chaos, and it, it's really hard to game plan for yellow cards or any type of cards. Uh, you all you can do is just pl- say, hey, this is what our game plan is, and if it goes astray. Eh, then, then we have to. Then we're gonna have to consider other options. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think the cool thing about this game is we've got nothing to lose because 
we're farther than we'd expect, and we get a third-place game if we lose. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, I mean... Which, go, is, just, which is the argument to, to, yeah. <laughs> to be a little aggressive, right? Which right, is, yeah. are, I mean, I think uh, even Wendy kind of said that on uh, on on uh, on Twitter, even on our on our podcast, one or the other, where you just kind of you're playing uh, already above your weight class. You already you're already playing with house money. You know, uh, let's go ahead and live a little. What's the worst that can happen? You well, you fail and you get a third place game. You right. Know? I would disagree a little to the extent that I don't think going all out attack. Is always the best game plan. No, 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 to get no, the no. victory. Yeah. But I, no, I, I agree that gambles are necessary when you, as long as you're weighing cost reward. And I think absolutely, there are definitely certain gambles, um, gambles in Klinsman's mind at least. Well, and, and, I, and I think the ballistic is gamble is a very good one. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think Nagby is also a, a, a second one. He should that, be, but he's not going to get. No, he's not. He's, he's not. And we can both agree with that and be all right with that. I think that's really what the thing is, is that we have to be all right with that because if I not, have to be we, anything. I, I I think yeah, I but you're just gonna put Nagby over any day of the week, and I'll yell that off of a I'll yell that off of a roof that if we're gonna have four four two versus a four five one against uh against Argentina, I'll take a Nagby instead of Zardes and play the four five one. I'll so yell that off a roof. Shot. That's not what he's gonna do. So you just kind of you deal with it. You you move on. You move past it. No, I understand what you mean, but don't tell uh, me how to feel, Harrison. All right, all right. Uh, MLS. So that's still happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, so something that came out of this game, uh, this weekend, NYC, uh, actually won a game and, and I might, although they tried very hard to lose it. They, the, they the end again. Yeah. Their defense tried very hard. Their defense for, you know, for all the, all, all the attacking, you know, pieces that they might have. Um, their defense is trash. <laughs> yeah, no, like it's... utter trash. Like it is hot, wet, stinky garbage. You know, I actually took my son. Here's a story for you, podcast listeners. I took my son for pho for the first time, and it was kind of embarrassing. Um, they brought out our food to us, and, and um, my son, who is six years old, took one look at the food, looked at my wife and I, and said. Dad, this smells like hot, wet, stinky garbage. My six-year-old. What, what was this? You said you took him out where? To pho. I don't know what pho is. What do you mean you don't know what pho? What is pho? You, you know what? Uh, P-H-O? No. No? You, no? Okay, that's... No. All right. It's pho. Anyways. Yeah, so that's basically NYC's defense. That's their back line is hot wet stinky garbage and, and so that being said they have some killer attacking pieces that i kind of wonder specifically with frank lampard because of all the stories and all the controversy that's surrounding him are people underrating what he's going to be able to contribute to this team well, I, I i've been saying that for a while i think it's funny how cyclical bad analysis is because um if we go, if we if we roll back the clock to Beckham, um, you know, Grant Wall wrote a book about the Beckham failure experiment, you know, two years into it and all that, and then Beckham goes on and wins two cups. So, you know, maybe we should have taken note and said, well, Beckham was injured those first two years. Let's wait for him to be healthy. You know, Lampard is has yet to be healthy, and yes, he is considerably older than Beckham, 
But, you know, he when he's healthy, we know he's a good player. The question is, does he fit the team? Um, I think we should wait to have a fair judgment. I said this about Gerard last year. Like, until Gerard has pieces around him that work, I'm not going to, you know, trash him to the degree that fans are willing to. I think Lampard no, I, and I think definitely can help. And he was tremendous in that game. He wasn't. Well, I give you I give you total props for the Gerard call, by the way. <laughs> thank you. I know, thank no, you. Serious, seriously, I, I really underestimated him. Having him on my fantasy team this year, I really see what he contributes every week to the Galaxy, and I am thoroughly impressed. Well, yeah, well, I mean, every week is a, a stretch. Okay. That might be a stretch, but... Because he, he plays every, like, th- every three games, but... <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Every game that he plays. He, right, yes, yes. Puts in a solid performance. Yes, he is. He is the. He's he's like MPG only. He's an, he's a lock starter when he, he's available. Only right. MPG it, it only plays when other players are injured, but always puts up incredible numbers, uh, regardless, Side. and then gets benched. But so NYC, they have not only do they have David Villa, who arguably is the best player in MLS right now. Um, they have he was. Right. La- I mean, he was up there last year. He was playing but, up Vinko like numbers last year, and exactly. people weren't noticing it because he was underperforming XG, which is you know a great. Well, not only that was he underperforming in XG, he was playing on a terrible team, a team that had so much controversy that he his amazing play, like he, and not only that, he's already showing that he's adjusting to the last year was his adjustment year. Javinko ha- didn't have an adjustment year. David Villa had an adjustment year, and he's coming out better. That should terrify you and should tell you in a weakened Eastern Conference, they very much have a very good possibility of squeaking into the backside of the playoffs. You know, I called this one too in our fantasy league because once I had already spent my money, um, my big money, I then warned everyone that if if Villa goes under 40, I am going to riot because that's a steal. I am bitter about that. I am bitter because I started throwing money out the Yazoo at uh, David Villa, and you, everybody, you just told everybody, "Oh, don't let him go for cheap." And you started throwing out stats, and you started. And I was right. I was one hundred percent right. He should not have gone for cheap. Whoever bought Villa paid what he was worth. Actually, he went. He went. Yeah. Um. So. Add to that the fact that you also have this young kid, Jack Harrison, who's oh my god, he's really, really good. Like I, I totally missed him coming into this. I, I kind of thought it was a little overblown, but the fact that I didn't realize he's 19. Yeah, he's been good. I mean, small sample size, granted. But oh, absolutely. Two games, but two sure. games, he's been amazing. Like, uh, his runs are smart. Um, the passes he makes, like that. To know that Via's back there and do that backheel to him. And um, have the confidence to yeah. do it. That's, it's one thing to know that you can do it. It's quite another to actually have the balls to do it. And, and he absolutely then – you, then you throw in the fact that they have Tommy Mack. And then on the bench, somebody that they're actively shopping and could probably maybe get a decent defender out of it is you got Poku. You know, you know he's going to end up getting traded. And if – they are smart at all. They would they would at least get a decent central defender. Now you you kind of wonder why didn't they get a really in Colin earlier in the D, in the year? Why don't you flip Poku? Because I guarantee you Orlando would have been interested in that. Maybe I can't guarantee you. That, that's complete conjecture on my bad. <laughs> I can't understand why they wouldn't be interested, being that they were looking 
actively for somebody that could re- that could spell uh, both Molino and uh, Kaká, and, and they way overpaid to to get that. But that's neither here nor there. I feel like they could have gotten a, a decent defender to fill in those gaps, and, and I, I feel like that that's what they should be using Poku as as, as a poker chip to to supplement that. And I think Colin's another example of bad narrative people jumping the gun forgetting. Uh, sleeping on a player that was once good, assuming that he's bad again. When, um, you know, since they've traded for him, I believe they're on three shutouts, uh, Red Bulls. Um, uh, he did he, he didn't start, did he? I not in the last game. Not in the last game. Yeah. So it's not not totally 100%, but they were playing the Sounders, granted. Sounders don't score goals anymore. So um, That's a different story. Um, well, I mean, of the it's, Red tr- Bulls, it's true. The, speaking of the Red Bulls and, and scoring... Um, how about Mike Grella? You know, and, and yeah, so um, he's somebody that I feel like there should be more of more players like him coming from the USL. I mean, really, he was there at the behest of uh, Marsh. Um, really, no one knew what he was going to be. He plays over Veron, who is a designated player. Well, Veron was um, suspended last game, um, and then he was injured the earlier part of the season. Now, I mean, that's 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 been the consi- but he's consistently started over mm, the last what eighteen months. Well, uh, Veron. Well, I believe when they're when he, Veron's a hundred percent, Veron generally plays. Uh, but that's. Which pains me because I think they look better in that four-two-three-one than the four-two-two-two. Um, I think Grella, you know, app offered so much for them last year, and he's continuing to do that. Um, but yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I, I was on record about this last year. Integral yeah. part of that offense. Um, he was pretty much the the equivalent of what Namath was to SKC. When you run that one-forward system, you need a winger to be able to cut inside and and be sort of a forward, um, you know, a wing forward. And, you know, make those cutting runs. And he does that. And, you know, he's not going to get a ton of touches or create that many shots for others. But, you know, he's got the skill and the know-how where to be. And he just gets goals. And that's really important in an offense where, you know, maybe Bradley Wright Phillips goes cold for a while, like he did at the beginning of the season. And all of a sudden, where are your goals coming from? You need those supplements. And Grell has been fantastic for them. Absolutely fantastic. Well, I, I, last year I called him the East Coast uh, Lamar Nagel, and that's not uh, that that's not to uh, you know that, that that that's not me being mean or cruel. Really, I, I like Lamar Nagel a lot. I think that he had. I think Grilla has probably two or three above average traits and everything else is below average. But those two or three above average traits, you know, his hustle, his touch. And his uh, aptitude for taking shots, I think, gets is enough for him to make an impact at this level in MLS. And I think that, you know, there's a lot. There's some things that definitely he doesn't do great. And there's some definite things that he has holes in the game. But Jesse Marsh minimizes those by putting other players around him. And, and credit Jesse Marsh for understanding and finding certain players such as this. And, and granted... 
Um, it's not as if he was an un, you know unknown talent. He spent significant time with Leeds United, then uh, drifted off to League One English uh, England, and then uh, a Danish Superliga club. So I mean, he had some time, but overall, it just it just to me, it's been impressive, and I would really like to see more people continue to scout USL and NASL. He came from uh, Carolina Railhawks um, after playing seven games with them, so. I would really like to see more more people take some chances on those types of players. Well, I think it's going to inherently happen now that uh, teams have their own USL teams. Um, although that might you won't be able to scouting other teams so much as you, you'll just have your own USL team. So I think the open market is going to be NASL because ideally you're going to have a system where academies are feeding into MLS USL teams, and then those players jump to MLS. And then NASL is sort of that go-between league if it manages to stay around. And that's where you can find those sort of type of players. We kind of so talked we, about that last time. We did. We absolutely did. But there's also OptiData for NASL, which makes it exciting for people like us because you can data scout it. Nerds. Um, yeah, we can data scout and do, uh, you know, start pulling at players who look exciting and, uh, you know. One more month, bro. One more month. I'm I'm counting. I'm not lying to you. I'm 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 totally psyched about it. About what? Uh, one more month, summer league takes over, or fall league, or whatever you want to call it, and we'll have opt data on them because they'll their opt license uh, for who scored will start coming up. So now you have to like dig through all the chalkboards. Which, by the way, can we talk about the chalkboards for NASL are way better than MLS? I shouldn't say way better. They're just better. Yeah, MLS has really gone for styling over um, infographic. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, <laughs> they're not built for you and me anymore, um, which is probably the right move traffic-wise. There aren't a lot of us, but uh, there's uh, it's definitely not ideal for things we look for. for um, and, you know, because if, if you want to look at ugly chalkboards you look at who scored but you know they also tell me how many passes a player has right instead well, of making exactly me count. so <laughs> goodness gracious I, we had a petition going we had over 70 people sign it and they still ignored it and we got some really snarky mentions by uh, the mls digital staff but i think they still hate us pretty certain well yeah i mean of, of course they, they hate us because they ain't us that's right well speaking of my gorilla and Danish Superliga clubs. Uh, I don't think he actually played for uh, a Danish Superliga team. Uh, AJ Soares appears to be back in the USSA. Um, that was terrible. I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna own up to that. That was bad. I'm I apologize. Um, pygmies down in Africa. Uh, AJ Soares training with Orlando City. Good news, bad news, no news. I think uh, it's good news for them. That's another player that like you know. Hello, NYC. Anyways. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, how many play? I'm gonna try, let me look right now. How many uh, appearances he had for Viking? He had. Just, sorry, I know this is great radio. He had 31 appearances last year. So yeah, no, that's definitely a <laughs> definitely 100. Man, he's been playing soccer, so. Uh, if you're playing soccer at a, in a league that is somewhat on par with MLS, then absolutely um, interesting what he's going to want contract-wise. But, uh, and, you know, I think they're pretty good. Um, 
Orlando's starting to cobble together pretty good defense. I mean, in general, um, I think Seb Hines has been a uh, has been incredible for them, um, especially in the air. So uh, I don't know what they're going to do with them, but by all means, that's that's it, uh, pick up depth. We Poku. <laughs> I mean, that's that, I'm just saying. Agadella, uh, get Agadella, get a uh, Real, get a uh, get all the unwanted. Um, Dude, we could make a team a, a, an unwanted eleven. We should do that sometime. Oh, we should absolutely. Like we could do that next week. I would have so Actually, much fun. I, so I have a guest. I know the perfect guest for that. I have a guest lined up for with us for next week, and I have a fun little thing that we're we're gonna talk about. I was gonna talk to you after the podcast, but since listeners are still here, we'll just tease it a little bit. We're gonna do an expansion draft, and I have a guest on for next week. It's going to be for the awesome. Yes. So uh, there you go. There's Wait, your for, for, for I mean the, our fantasy. No, league? we'll talk about it late. No, 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 no. Okay. All right, so all right, all right. of expansion drafts, um, we have Lucas Milano who, who somehow didn't get sold on a free. Um, good move, bad move. What? We're getting Alexi Lawless on. <laughs> on the, uh, you just sent it to me in the chat. I'm so, I'm sorry. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not getting Alexi Lawless. That would be. Uh, that that would go against everything that we really do. Um, don't, don't speak too ill of him. He, I mean, he does his job. I I, I actually am not super critical of him actually, uh, but that's a different discussion. Um, Lucas Milano was asked to go. What? Who was it? Uh, I didn't write this in the line notes, so I'm not prepared. I want to say that it was Boca Juniors. Is that correct? Oh, the team that wants him back? Yeah, or that wanted to wanted him on the free. There's some. Uh, some. Oh, who was it? I don't know. Anyways, uh, PTFC says no way, Jose. Um, and Milano we, wants out, from what I hear. Milano wants out. That's that's the word. Um, should they just be cutting bait at this time? Ha 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 ha! man, I'm so good. This is this is hard because. You don't want to fall into the sunken cost fallacy. You know, you don't. No, absolutely. That's that's where I'm at. Uh, that is exactly where I'm at. But at the same time, if you – he does have – it really matters just where he's at mentally because if this is something that can turn around with his form, then, you know, if he's just – because he's getting playing time and what have you. Maybe if it's a living situation, doesn't like America, whatever, then, yeah, you know, let him go. But if he's just not really happy with his soccer, then I think you hold on to that and just sort of trust that it'll turn around because he was great for Lanus. So, I mean, I, I still believe in him as a soccer player. I think he should be a good soccer player for them. So it's entirely dependent on the situation. But in general, bad business to buy a player for $5 million and then let him go for free like two years later. Just in general. But. No, it, 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 it's, it's definitely not good business. And not only that, it it, it really hurts you because you're going to have to re- replace him in some manner, right? So that's additional funds that you're going to have to pay. Should we to. explain the sunken cost fallacy for those who aren't? Go for it. Well, uh, you do you know it better than me off the top Prob- of your Probably not. Um, that was kind of – here, we can – see? I'm Googling it too. <laughs> Sunk fallacy. There you go. Uh, In economics and business decision, 
In economics and business decision-making, a sunk cost is a cost that has already been incurred and cannot be recovered. Sunk costs, also known as retrospective costs, are sometimes uh, contrasted with perspective costs, which are future costs that may be incurred or changed. In an, how's that a fallacy? It doesn't say it's – So here, here's, the, here's the, the loss aversion and the sunk cost fallacy. Many people have strong misgivings about the wasting resources loss aversion – in the above example involving a non-refundable movie ticket, many people, for example, would feel obligated to go to the movie despite not really wanting to go because doing otherwise would be wasting the ticket price. They feel they've passed the point of no return. This is sometimes referred to as the sunk cost fallacy. Economists would label this behavior irrational. It is inefficient because it misallocates resources by depending on information that is irre irrelevant to the decision being made. This line of thinking in turn may reflect a non-standard measure of utility, which is ultimately subjective and unique to the consumer. A ticket buyer who purchases a ticket to a bad movie in advance makes a semi-public commitment to watching it. To leave early is to make a la this lapse of judgment manifest to strangers, an appearance he otherwise chose to avoid. Alternatively, he may take pride in having recognize this opportunity cost of the alternative use of time and that's really what it is right it's an alternative use of time um mm -hmm. i think uh, and the opportunity cost that i think is key here um as we talk, kind of talk about milano and, and i think that in this situation it'd be really it, it kind of behooves us to talk about vincent uh uh no and uh, his situation with Philadelphia. And, and honestly, I don't know uh, Nogueira's uh, situation with Philadelphia, except for that he was a phenomenal player. And it's it was um, a little weird to see him go. I went out for a, a run, and in a six-hour span, I, I ran four miles, was less than six hours, showered, drove out to Seattle – uh, he had been let go and that, that just kind of, that really shocked me. And then it came down to the fact that there was some sort of, uh, and, and they really didn't disclose all the things there was some, uh, some mental, um, and, and I don't want to get this wrong. So I, I should probably stop even say from where I'm saying there was just some, some possible, some possibility to where there was some personal, uh, issues at hand. In which you know Philadelphia definitely made the uh, made made the effort to make sure the player got the help that they needed, or at least you know uh, had the opportunity to get the help that was needed. And, and so you look back at Lucas Milano, and if that's the case, I hope that you know Portland will do the best thing for him, and I'm sure that they will. That you know, I I, I feel that that organization definitely does a great job with its players and with its staff and its fans. I think that they'll continue to do so. That being said, selling him off because he's not necessarily, as you said, you know, quote unquote, playing good soccer, I think just totally uh, shoots yourself in the foot. Yeah, I mean, definitely. Uh, if they can get a transfer somewhere, um, I don't know how much well, yeah. of his value and, and has that change, sunk it. That changes the situation, right? That That changes the equation. Yeah, I, I think that ideally they want to, if they can find someone willing to pay a little bit so they can recover some of that cost, that's ideal. But I'm, I'm not quite sure how much of its value has 
tanked because I don't think he was ever worth five million to begin with. No, and um, we've discussed that I think on this yeah, podcast. Definitely have. Uh, but then again, the Argentinian market's starting to balloon to the point that it, you could justify it in part because of that move. Um, S- Seattle are about to make a move. Uh, no, no, they scrapped that. They they said they weren't going to pay five million. Is the last thing I heard. We'll discuss this after the podcast uh, for which. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so last thing, uh, continuing along the thing of Northwest and uh, people being sold off, uh, Fernando Addy uh, looks to maybe not he personally, but there is obviously uh, interested parties in his skills. He's a phenomenal talent. He's been phenomenal since coming to MLS, um, There, at least in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about him, so I won't necessarily speak. I don't think we've really talked too much about him on this podcast. That being said, um, what does Portland do if it comes to a point to where they can't retain him any longer? Um, well, you sell to the highest bidder, absolutely. They're not looking to sell this here from what it sounds like, and that's smart because he's pretty indispensable for them. Um, and I think you kind of have to line up a replacement because they kind of they don't have a target for I guess because Maddox doesn't really fit that necessarily he's got the build but it's not that type of player um I think they need that type of player to you know sort of bring in to that attack if uh they let him go so I think preparing for that contingency in the future is smart because I don't think those offers are going away anytime soon so I, I think it would be smart for them to be cautious about it um, and allow time to prepare contingencies before selling, field a bunch of offers, um, n- not sort of just see a big price and just, you know, sell them. Well, and, and that's kind of my thought process here is they're probably going to sell them in the off season. If not, they, and, and every play, look, every player has a price that, that someone slides a number across the table and you say, uh, yep, we can do that. Um, that being said, assuming and this is again jumping into the land of conjecture and wild myth and harrison's childlike mind if that were to happen with fernando adi my question is could they go to a 4-2-2 and use jack mcinerney and darren maddox up top or change and not use some sort of uh change in the the manner that they're currently I don't think you can four four two with Valeri and Nagby. I don't see. I mean, I I, I, I think I, Valeri's going to stick around, and and not just to kind of like continue to go down the. Well, let me take this chess piece off the board. Hey, let me take it. Yeah. Not to not to belabor that, but at the same time, I think that you could kind of see a team that do. Is it if possible you, that if you lose Valeri, but I think if losing Valeri is you, you prepare for that more than you prepare for Adi. Because if you lose Valeri, then you can do all sorts of things. Because you the four three three is kind of built around um, Valeri and Nagby. And Adi is a piece that you need to make it work. Whereas if you were so if you were to lose Adi, you would just replace it with another auxiliary piece. If you were to lose Nagby or Valeri, then you have to scrap the entire system and come up with a new system. So you wouldn't necessarily need a replacement for Adi, as you were saying. So it, it's entirely dependent on who is leaving. So, you know, depends on the hypothetical. 
good stuff. I don't know if anybody can hear me. I've actually been snacking this whole time. Um, I barbecued yesterday for Father's Day. Actually, I didn't even barbecue. I smoked myself a pork tenderloin, and it's delicious. So I want to brag on that. Good for you. Yeah, good. good for you. I think that's it, man. Uh, what are you talking about? This is American soccer analysis. So, of course, we have to talk about the Canadian championship. Oh, that's right. That's right. We have the Canadian – because, you know, it's a Maple Leaf state. It's great. <laughs> uh, a throwback there. <laughs> that that was a throwback to the song that we used to have uh, in, our, in our show. Um, yeah, so Canadian championship. That's going on. Um, I'm trying to think. Is it Vancouver and Toronto? It is Vancouver and Toronto. The first leg is tomorrow Nailed in Toronto. It. Didn't and, even have boots uh, in front of me. What's great, interesting about this is the first leg that Toronto really needs to go out and get get goals, get you know, um, not give up goals. Uh, they're in a you know offensive uh, you know bind here. They're not scoring goals right now. And you know, as much as people disparage Bradley and Altidore for being overrated. They absolutely are necessary to getting Giovinco as much space as Giovinco needs to be effective. And when Giovinco is the only offensive player on that team, they're not doing so hot. Even if Giovinco you know, getting on the ball just as much. The, um, I think, you know, Vancouver then, at the same time, that kind of de-incentivizes them from playing a strong roster. Because both of these teams have... Uh, you know, Saturday game. So Vancouver at the same time could shoot themselves in the foot by saying, we only have to keep this game close. I think they did this against the Ottawa, uh, the Ottawa Fury when they, you know, yes. th- they played a 15 year old um, in that game, uh, you know, a good 15 year old, but I mean, they just, they allowed Ottawa to go, I think three Oh on them or something like that. Uh, and they were just like, Oh, well now we, we're kind of uh, by, we didn't take this opponent seriously. Now in the second leg, we have to, and you can't always, pull yourself back like that so uh it's going to be very interesting what the strategies are from both sides i think vancouver has to uh, i mean uh toronto has to put out what they have i don't know if what they have is enough to get the goals they need but i think vancouver needs to take it seriously and um you know not a mixed squad um you know but a pretty much your eighth team maybe you put blas out there instead of uh rivero um because blas is pretty much still uh, at that level I don't know. I think it's a very interesting, uh, it's a very interesting series, and you know, it's it is actually, I think it's at 4:30 uh, Western time, so or Pacific time, so you can watch it right before the U.S. game. It's a great lead-in. So if you have MLS Live or TSN, definitely tune in. It should be a fun one. Well, that's a good call, man. I didn't realize that it was on MLS Live. That's uh, yeah, definitely a, a good call. That should be a fun game, at least to to tune in. It's a rivalry that I wish. And this is just me being a West Coaster. I want Toronto FC to have some rivalries on the West Coast. I want them. Why? To, I I want them to have a rivalry with. You tweeted this Dallas. earlier. No, Why? I. <laughs> because I feel like they embody a lot of what L.A. did initially. Oh, I see. Or yeah. before L.A. kind of got, I don't want to use the word smart. So um, before they they got wise. I don't think they did. I, uh, no, I wouldn't get before they sort of got lucky in players. Well, there we are, luck. That's the word I. Would <laughs> that's super not fair. <laughs> that where no they come, where they kind of found a player pool that worked, half by stumbling was, upon it, half some by sort being of smart. Intelligent design behind it. Yes, the, some think. of it was some of it was smart. Some of it was kind of like, 
we're going to make a move for three Brazilian players. We're really high on Kazumba, and we're really high on Leonardo. Yeah, throw in that Juninho kid uh, who's, who's only played um, one professional game, and then he ends up being the backbone of a dynasty. Like, stuff like that. Um, yeah, hey, there's, you know, this kid Sarvis that we're going to throw a ton of money at because, wasn't you know. not a kid, Sarvis. but yeah. But yes. Well, yeah, because Sarvis is like 37 years old. Yeah, they, they saw him in like two games because they, they saw him. Did you uh, like how I did that? I like went exaggerated one way of the spectrum and then the exact opposite. That was that was me. Okay. Anywho. So let's play the superlative game real fast uh, because we didn't play it last week. So being that you brought up Toronto FC, superlative game. Michael Bradley, describe him. Describe Michael Bradley. Um, John O'Brien. One, one word. One word. You don't get to use multiple. One word. John hyphen O'Brien. <laughs> <laughs> That's an idiot. All right. Expand upon your, your choosing of word. Well, John O'Brien, um, when he was healthy, which was never, so maybe it's not a great analogy. Um, maybe Claudio Reina would be a bit. I think John O'Brien was a very good analog in that. He was very technical. The ball is feet. Um not super duper creative, but um, great work ethic. Um, understood space playing at, I think he played Ajax. Um, just, you know, phenomenal. Like, when you rank intelligent U.S. players, Michael Bradley and John O'Brien are going to be up there among one of the top ones. And um, they're just very similar in things that they offer. And, um, uh, you know, people always use hypothesize. What if John O'Brien was healthy for that full cycle? You know, stuff like that. What if we had John O'Brien for his full career? And I think we kind of see that with what we're getting from Bradley. Uh, people who, you know, I was much younger when John O'Brien was playing. Maybe I'm not remembering him that great. You probably might be some old time me people. Um, write in, tell me how wrong I am. But um, from what I remember of John O'Brien, very similar. Yeah, see. With Bradley, uh, he's I, – I, I don't even have a, a word that I chose out. It's your game. It's your game. But it, this is for you. It's my oh. game that I get to play with whoever I want. And, and so it's it's my game, so I'm going to oh, – So can I give you a player? So can I give you a player then? Uh, no, because uh, we're, we're, we're fresh out of time. Last question for you. Toronto FC, should they sell on Michael Bradley? Sell Michael Brett. Are there offers on him? There, there is supposedly uh, interest. That it, that oh yes, I did hear about this. Um, which yeah. is, I, I mean, it takes two to tango. So whether or not he really wants to leave Toronto FC, are you helping him pack his bag? Um, I don't. Th- he came back here, um, having had the ability to go elsewhere in Europe, and. You know, maybe it was – I mean, the money was probably very helpful. But his stated reasons were about the family wanting to come back to um, to have – not really – I'm going to say – He the got state. paid more money than anywhere else he would have gone for his skill set. And yes. he had to play every week, which he wouldn't have necessarily gotten to do. But he wanted to also bring his family back to – not the States, but North America. I, I believe that was um, – I, I take that um, at face value. Now – I don't know how uh, old his children are now. Maybe the maybe it's now viable to well, go back overseas yeah, without being for years. Yeah, yeah, but how old are his children? I'm not. Um, so I don't know how firmly planted um, he he is over here. But if 
if you can, yes, you make that sale because uh, depending on the offer, but because I don't think he is a vital cog, he is definitely replaceable, especially now that you have Will Johnson. And um, if you can get money for it and get that DP slot open. Um, well, and get, that and that's my thinking too. I, I think that I don't see him as being necessarily been vital. Like I, I think that he's replaceable. I think what he does for your team and when he's gone, it, you know, they don't have a piece to replace him right now. Uh, really, and, I think Will Johnson's pretty. I mean, I think he, I think he's all right. I think that they could do better. Um, I, I and find a, a more um, just a better fit overall for their roster while still clearing cap space and enabling some them to get someone to help Javinko. That's like, that, like right now that's help Javinko and sure up that defense. That's what I would do with that money. And I feel like you could do that while still replacing Bradley for the money you get for him. Well, in a they, capped environment, they don't have Lightwicky anymore. I believe. Right. I think right. he went to, he took his talents to South beach. Right. Because Lightwicky, um, uh, always does good on the soccer side, but gets fired for things he doesn't do in the bigger sports, like failing to bring, failing quotation marks, bring an NFL team to LA, which was pretty hard at the time. And then, uh, you know, I believe the Maple Leafs, um, Toronto Maple, Maple Leafs was his undoing for, anyway, yeah. incredible businessman. The architects of not only bringing in some of the biggest stars this league has ever seen, but like the architect of the DP, like, the, he he goes out and gets the Chivinkos and he was able to convince Defoe and you know who did amazingly before he decided he didn't want to be here anymore. Uh, you, you don't have that anymore, so you, you might want to question: Could they go out and get a big star after Bradley? Because Toronto is not really a you know a destination on the minds I, I of world soccer players. I disagree. Well, and, and maybe not on the mind of world soccer players, but Toronto is a significant city in the in the spectrum of you know not necessarily North America, but just as a world capital um, or as a country capital. No, they're not, a, they're not a capital, are they? Montreal's well, they're probably a providential, a providential. There, there you are. And you know what? Yeah. Britain's Britain's going to email us and be like all sorts of ca- Canadian and everything about this and be all. Don't be very rude about it too. He's the he, rudest he really, Canadian I've ever met. He's one of the meanest ca- Canadians and most like <laughs> antagonistic <laughs> Canadians I've ever met. And also fix wonderful breakfast locations. I just want to throw this out. Wonderful breakfast, uh, breakfast decision. Um, and, and I thoroughly enjoy my breakfast. Hopefully get to meet him again here, uh, in the next few months, go out for breakfast again. And, uh, and, and just wonderful, wonderful guy. Really mean sometimes totally snarky. Love him to death. Uh, there's my, there's, there's, there's that. That's, that's all I have. I, I, I'm pulling out, pulling out, ejecting, you got anything else for the good of the order? No, I, I think that is that's it. Um, yeah, now we're done. Yeah, I think we're done. Uh, to think say, now. Yeah, we're done. Say goodbye. Goodbye, everyone. All right, uh, Kai Kamara and uh, hopefully not uh, Galonzo uh, Iguain. That would that would suck. So Gonzalo. Gonzalo. Good. Uh, yeah. Yep. Bye. Galonzo. <laughs> Shut your face, high school jerks. We're about to show you how this works. Are we cool? Laser 